morning. How are you guys doing today? Well, welcome to River Glen. For those of you at our Pewaukee campus or online or those of you in Waukesha, I just want to tell you, my name's Don. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, but I want to let you know that I am so grateful for you being here. I know that there's a lot of places that you could be on a Super Bowl Sunday like this. I know for you Packer fans, the emotions are a little bit raw right now. I get that. I don't think today is going to end up like we originally thought it was. I know that was a case for me when I originally started uh, to work on this message. I went to Ben and said, hey, I've weaved in all these things about the Packers being in the Super Bowl. What do you think? Is that safe? He goes, yeah, go for it. He goes, have faith. Let's just say on Monday we had a, a lot of a rewrites uh, to that original message. But listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to come together as a church and we're going to pray for a Tom Brady loss. All in agreement? And it's so sad. He's a nice guy too, but hey, listen... Uh, despite our pain, we're going to have some fun today. I want to start out by asking a couple questions. I have a ball for you, and it, it is fully inflated, by the way, and uh, I'm still bitter. Anyways, we are going to throw a ball out. If you can answer this question, Pewaukee, Pastor Dave's going to throw one out to you as well. And online, all you need to do is fill out the welcome card, and we're going to draw a name, and we'll throw one out. So here's the question. The last time the Packers were in the Super Bowl, who did they beat? Did you say Steelers? Ready? Oh, that's the first one I've missed. I knew this could go bad. It could go either way. S second, uh, second question. There was a... <laughs> Thank goodness nobody asked for one in the mezzanine. Hey, listen, we, uh, second question is there was a game that was played. It was a while back. It's the coldest playoff game in history. What do they call that game? Ice Bowl. There you go. Yes. Okay. Hey, listen, when you look back at that game, here's a picture of, of people in the stands. That's not outside in our lobby, even though it felt like it this morning. Uh, but it was so cold, but people still look on that day with kind of a lot of pride. People who weren't there said, you know what, if, if I was alive back then, or I had an opportunity to get a ticket, I totally would have went to that game. I don't care that it was minus 37 degrees. Really? Because I think when you're not living in that time period, it's really easy to say that. But there were people that were there, and the players said it was one of the worst days of their life. Many of the players actually ended up with permanent frostbite, and, and their fingers were damaged uh, for the rest of their lives. But listen, I wonder in 2020, in years from now, are they going to look back at this past year and say, you know what, I didn't think it was that bad. I could have probably lived through it. But those that lived through it know how rough of a year it was. It kind of reminds me of this meme, still can't believe Tiger King was the most normal part of 2020. I'll tell you, that is so true. When I saw that at the beginning of the year, I thought, man, things can't go downhill from here. But uh, they sure did. But the one thing that we can all agree on is that we have some rebuilding to do coming out of 2020. And it might look different for each of us. We might have certain areas in our life that we need to rebuild. Maybe that's rebuilding a job or a business. Maybe it's your marriage or relationships. Maybe it's rebuilding financially or it's your health. I all, we all know that we need some rebuilding done in the church as well. Well, today we wrap up our series called Rebuild, and it's based on the chapter Nehemiah, which is in the Old Testament of the Bible, and we look to God to see uh, what he has to say about rebuilding. In week one, we talked about the back history of Nehemiah and the history of how the walls of Jerusalem were completely destroyed. And we learned that they lay in ruin for 140 years. 
And they were this constant reminder of because of the disobedience of the Jewish people, God had allowed the city to be destroyed. But the Jews knew that if they could come together and they could rebuild these walls, it would show God that he would truly bring restoration on the Jews into Jerusalem. If they could pull this off, they'd be back on mission with God and they would have security and strength. Nehemiah's heart was just broken over the condition of these walls, and he was committed to this rebuilding project. But he knew he would need these three rebuilding blocks. Week one, we talked about the importance of prayer. The first thing Nehemiah did was he brought God into this. He prayed from the very beginning, and he prayed consistently. In week two, we talked about endurance. If they were going to pull this off, they knew that they were going to face opposition. All of Israel's enemies opposed the rebuilding efforts because they knew if they were successful that they would grow in power. Well, today we're going to look into chapter 3 and see what other building block is necessary for us to rebuild, not only in our lives, but in our church. I'd like you to take out your Bible, and this is going to be a participation part of the message. I don't want you to read chapter 3, but I want you to open it up and just scan through it. And if you don't have a Bible with you, open up your YouVersion app on your phone, or you can follow along on the screen right here. It says, uh, I'm going to read this. It says, Elisha, the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated and set his doors in place, building as far as the tower of the hundred, which they dedicated as far as the tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Emery, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by some the sons of Hassanah, they laid its beams and put its doors and bar- bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, son of Benah, also made repairs. If it sounded like there was just nothing but a bunch of names and places, you would be uh, correct. Have you ever been there before where you open up the Bible and you start reading through a chapter like that and you have no idea what they're talking about and you get completely lost? Am I the only one? Do you ever feel that way? Well, here's what you do. You just go through and you read it like, you, like it's correct, like you know the pronunciation. Because the truth is, nobody knows how to pronounce the names. They just kind of blow through it as fast as they can. And if they make a mistake, they just kind of keep on going. Well, if you believe that the Bible is, is the true word of God, then there must be a reason why God put those names in chapter 3. You're going to notice that there are 30 verses in the next, or 30 names in the next 32 uh, verses, and those names must mean something. When you dig into this a little, you start to realize that this is more than just a list. A list is what you take to the grocery store. A list is what I get on a, a weekend. Um, and, and I like the list. I wouldn't know what to do with the day off, but I, I get a list. But this list is more than that. We would never say that about the Vietnam War Memorial and say it's just a list of names. No, this list of names in Nehemiah, they, they represent something. They represent sacrifice and teamwork. This was a list of people that were part of a community that brought their families together, and they dropped everything, and they spent the next 52 days working together to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Do you realize the enormity of this project? Here's a picture of the wall. This wall was eight feet thick, it was 39 feet high, over three stories, and it ran for two miles long, two miles long, and they did it all in 52 days. It's nothing short, really, of a miracle. They sacrificed their time and even put their lives on the line because, as we learned last week, there was constant opposition to them. 
These people listed here, they loved God and they wanted to serve Him, but, and they wanted to be a part of rebuilding these walls. You find some really cool principles in here about community and teamwork. You'll notice that everyone is needed for the task. And as you read through chapter 3, you'll find the phrase next to him 31 times, and you'll find the phrase they repaired 41 times. When I see this list of, of names here, I'm reminded here at River Glen that we are so dependent on our volunteers. We wouldn't be able to pull off a service like this. Kids programming that Taylor talked about, yeah, that wouldn't be happening here. If you're watching online, sorry, there's no one to run the equipment. Hospitality, yeah, there's not enough of us, and a lot of us aren't very gifted at it, so that probably wouldn't happen. And there'd be a line to the cafe because you'd be making your own coffee. And that music, which was so awesome this morning, I hate to tell you, but it would be a one-man band, and normally this would be Morgan here on a weekend. And Pewaukee, it doesn't get any better for you Here's Logan in Pewaukee. By the way, thanks, Logan, for being here today. Uh, that is not a pretty sight, but it takes everybody to be able to pull off a weekend like this. And making it tougher is because of our size, it's easy for someone to get kind of lost in the crowd and just become a sponge and soak up everything that happens here. And what can start to happen is you start to become complacent and you become a spectator. And when you get tired of the message, you just move on to find something new, a different style, something else to engage you. And I, trust me, I know this isn't intentional. It's just how, how things get when you're not on mission with a team or with a community because that's how we're spiritually fed. Meanwhile, the church and our communities are crying out for help. And if the church is really supposed to be a hospital for the sick and the dying people, we need more doctors, we need more nurses, we need people that are orderlies, we need people to check people in at the door that are sick. And the truth is, Nehemiah faced the same challenges as we do today. How do you take participants or spectators and move them to become participants? If the rebuilding was going to take place, it was going to take a community effort. And for the community to occur, the first thing that we're going to need is the same thing that Nehemiah did, is that we need unity. We need everyone on board focused on the same thing. Look in your Bible in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Eliashib, uh, the high priest and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated and as far as the Tower of Hananel. Notice it mentions the priests, the spiritual leaders first. They didn't just sit around praying and writing messages. No, they jumped in and they got their hands dirty. That's one of the things I really love about River Glen and their leaders and the staff that are here. They step in whenever and wherever they're needed, and not just because it's their job. Many of you don't know this, but there are over 5,000 people that call River Glen home that are coming in and out throughout the year and we have 20 people on staff, and though they have very specific roles, you'll see them on their time off, often jumping into the community or jumping in here on the weekends to fill in gaps wherever they're needed. I am so thankful for the example that they set. So let's move on. So it says the priest, they rebuilt this sheep gate, and the sheep gate was right over here near the temple. And the reason why it was called the sheep gate is this is where they sacrificed the sheep for the temple, and they, the priest would actually take them in. In Nehemiah 3.2, it says the men of Jericho, they built the adjoining sections, Zakur and, and, and Zakur, son of Imri, but built next to them. We see in this chapter that many people came from other areas to get involved in this wall building. It says these men were from Jericho. They weren't even from the city of Jerusalem. 
So for those of you online living somewhere else and wondering how can you help, it's like we need you. We need you to work on the wall with us. Nehemiah had everyone working towards a common goal. Well, almost everyone. Let's jump down into verse 5 in your Bible. It says, The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. Why not? Well, I, I guess because they were nobles. Maybe they didn't feel like it was worth getting their hands dirty. Maybe they felt they were too wise to get their hands dirty. You know, maybe they didn't like the leadership or the color of the wall, so they weren't going to help. You ever know anybody like that? That they feel like maybe they're too good to get involved or maybe too good to be able to get their hands dirty? Or unless things go their way, it's not their idea. They won't have anything to do with it and they'll just kind of sit on the sidelines. But I'll tell you what the example of Jesus was. He washed his disciples' feet. I don't think you can get much dirtier than that. You see, Christ was willing to stoop. Christ got his hands dirty. Christ served when it wasn't comfortable or easy. And if we're going to call ourselves Christians, then we need to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, not walk in the footsteps of the nobles. And we need to know that it's not always going to be easy. As we continue down into verse 6 through 8, it talks about just the opposite. It talks about the wealthy people. It speaks of the jeweler and the perfume maker repairing the walls as far as the broad gate. Not people that you would think would probably be pretty good builders, but they were on the team, and apparently, according to Nehemiah, they did even more than what was expected of them. The next passage shows the wisdom of Nehemiah as he signs, assigns people to work on the walls that are closest to their home. And the reason why he did that, it's really brilliant, is he knew that they would do more than what was required of them. They would make sure that those walls were built strong and that they would secure their area and it would also lift up their community. We all have opportunities to serve where we live, at your local schools, in your local food pantries, homeless shelters. Here in Waukesha, we have a, a Habitat for um, Humanity home that's coming up at the end of March. This is a great place uh, where you can serve. And if you don't have one of those or you live outside of Waukesha, there are Habitat for Humanity homes that you can get involved with as well. But work wherever God has placed you. The residents of Zenoa worked on the wall in the 13, the valley gate was repaired by Hanan and the residents of Zenoa. They rebuilt it and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. They also repaired, the, the, repaired 500 yards of the wall as far as the dung gate. Did you catch that? To the dung gate. That sounds like a great place to stop. And for those of you leaning over to somebody and saying, did he say dung gate? Yes, it says dung gate. This was a place where all the garbage and all the sewage came in. It was on the south end of the wall. And the reason why they put it there is as the prevailing winds came in, it would just kind of push out all the odor and all the smell. I'm sure this was just a place where people lined up to serve. But if you look at verse 14, it says the dung gate was repaired by Malchiah, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth, Hakarim. He rebuilt it and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Who signs up for a job like that? Well, apparently uh, Melchiah does. And if you notice, he wasn't out of work. It wasn't like he was desperate. It says he was actually a ruler. You see, Melchiah understood something about humility that the nobles didn't. By the way, do you know what the name Melchiah actually means? It means my king is Yahweh. My king is God. He didn't take on this job because he loved it. He took on this job because he loved God. 
There was no glamour or limelight in this job, and the truth is, it's no different in the church sometimes. We have a lot of jobs, a lot of opportunities on these teams, and not all of them are glamorous, but somebody has to do them. Vince Lombardi, a great leader and the former uh, Packers coach, said, teamwork is what the Green Bay Packers were all about. They didn't do it for individual glory. They did it because they loved one another. Isn't that true? The act of service shows more love to somebody than anything else. So to build community, it's going to take everyone to have unity, to be focused on the same mission. Second, it's going to take variety. We're going to need a lot of different types of people from a lot of different types of background to be on mission together. And we see there are a lot of different types as we read through chapter 3. We talked about some of them. Verse 1 talked about spiritual leaders. Verse 2 talks about neighboring communities. Verse 8 and 9, we, we just talked about them. The perfume maker, Coco Chanel, and the jeweler, Richard Kessler, they were working on the wall as well. Verse 9, you have a mayor, a town councilman, a politician. If you read on to verse 12, it says, Shalom, son of Halosha, ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next, sex, next section with the help of his daughters. I love this. This was not something that was common, but the guy gets his daughters involved. I have three daughters and one son, and if my son was working with, with me on the wall, I guarantee you it would just be me and him. None of his friends are jumping in to help. But if I had my three daughters working with me on the wall, guess what I get? I get three boys that are coming along as well, and I get to double the size of my crew. I can't tell you how many weekend projects I've got done with boys coming over uh, to visit. Let's continue on. Verse 17, it says the Levites are involved. Verse 23, the homeowners. Verse 26 and 27, the temple servants and the town merchants in verse 32. Did you notice I didn't say carpenter? Mason. There wasn't any of that. There wasn't even a rock finder. I don't know if that's a job, but I'm thinking it is with, with a wall. Every person, despite their lack of training, despite their skills, their place in society, stood side by side with their families and their neighbors, and they said, we're in. Where do you need to use us? We, we might not have the skills to build a wall, but we're open. We want to be a part of a team. We want to do this for God and for our neighbors. I came on staff about five years ago, and before that, I spent four years volunteering in different capacities, and one of those areas was in the three-year-old classroom. My wife has served in that same class for the last nine years, and many times when we would ask, would you be willing to help, maybe serve one Sunday a month or maybe two weekends a month, we'd get the same response many times. I'd love to, but I wouldn't even know where to begin with a three-year-old. Really? They're three. They're really easy to entertain. You just pull out the whole missing finger trick, and some cry, but the majority of them are just happy that you're there to play with them. Same with the nursery. Can you change a diaper? Not do you like changing diapers, or are you really skilled at it, but can you change a diaper? We need people who are willing to do the job, to be a Melchiah and work at the dung gate. Like I said earlier, in a church's size, it's easy to sit on the sidelines because there are so many super servants working on multiple teams. They're willing to serve every week. And it's easy, too, if you're new and you look around and you say, listen, this is a big church. I don't think they need me. They have plenty of people that can actually help. And I get that, but listen, you would be wrong. When a church gets this big, we even need more people to serve on the team. Or maybe you used to attend and we're on a team, but with COVID and everything that's going on, you're like, Don, listen, that's why I'm online. I, I can't actually serve. No, we can actually, we need you. 
We need you where you are. Or maybe you're online and you live in another state and you say, what, what good can I do? We need you as well, because listen, we're not just one church in two locations. We're one church in hundreds of locations because of our online presence. Right now, we have people that host our online campuses and on Facebook and on YouTube, and they do that from their home or from wherever they live. We have an alpha leader, uh, leader named Stephanie who leads an alpha group online. She used to attend here, but now she lives in South Carolina. So she watches this online, and then she serves during the middle of the week. We have online groups that you can join or help lead, and you can serve in your community right where you are, and we can help get you connected to organizations in your community. There are so many ways that you can be part of the mission of making more and better followers of Jesus. And you know what the really cool thing of being a part of a large church is, is you get to pick where on the wall that you want to actually serve, where you can make a difference. Listen, it takes all different kinds of people with all different types of backgrounds, different skills, the entire church to be on mission to rebuild and bring people to Jesus. Because God didn't just call some of us, God called all of us in this room. 1 Corinthians 12 says, we're part of the body of Christ, one body with many parts that work together. Do you know that our body consists of 79 organs, 206 bones, 639 muscles, 100,000 hairs on our head for most of us, 25 billion red blood cells, 37 trillion cells, and none of that matters at all if it doesn't actually uh, work together. You see, we need the whole entire body working together. Scott Peck, a well-known psychiatrist, said it this way, we can never be completely whole in and of ourselves. We are inevitably social creatures who desperately need each other, not merely for company, but for any meaning to our lives, whatsoever. When we serve together, when we're a community working together on the same mission, something happens. Why is that? Well, I think because serving can be humbling. Getting your hands dirty puts you on an even playing field. It gets rid of the pride and the charade of maybe being better than somebody else. Working side by side with somebody brings a sense of togetherness and a sense of equalness. But it's also how God designed us. He sent his son as an example. Jesus could have done it alone, but he didn't. He surrounded himself with 12 disciples, and he was part of a community, and he came as a humble servant. In Mark 10, 45, it says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As we move farther into chapter 3, the mention of families working together. It says the father and his sons, the father and his daughters. It's a family thing. Many of you probably brought your families together when we did our, our meal packing event. We saw tons of them there. We have another opportunity coming up with the Habitat Build that I mentioned. This is a great place to get your family involved. Uh, I worked on one of those Habitat Builds. It's great. They teach you something new. And the best thing about that, that weekend was you got to actually work side by side with different people that you didn't know. And it was a blast. So if you want more information about that, you know, go to our Connect Wall and they'll help you get connected. The same thing uh, with a life group. It's a great way to connect with others. And if you're not in a group, we'd love to connect with you. Life groups remind me of Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10, where it says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. I've heard geese fly, uh, can fly 72% further when they're flying in formation with others compared to flying alone by themselves. Who do you think taught them that principle? 
It's a principle of organization and teamwork where we, when we cooperate in community, we can accomplish so much more. It's how God's actually designed us. Well, there's one more important step, and that's, that's part of building this community, is we need courage. In week one, we recognize we need courage to pray those tough prayers, and many of you filled out one of those prayer boxes and put it out on the wall, and I want to challenge you, and I want to encourage you, keep praying those prayers, but listen, when God calls you to move, then I want you to move, and I want you to know you don't have to have it all figured out. Our sign at the front of the building says, come as you are, and we truly mean that. God will meet you where you are, and you can serve where you are no matter where you're at in your life. Week two, we recognize that we need courage to endure, to fight off the critics and the opposition, to be able to ignore the people that distract us or discourage us. And I want you to know that God is on your side. God is fighting with you and for you. Nehemiah 4.20 says, our our God will fight with you. We also need courage to take the next step, to step outside of our, our comfort zone and get involved. We need the courage to stop saying not Not right now because I have a lot going on. Not right now because COVID is keeping me away from others. Not right now because my kids are too young. Bring your kids with them. Our kids served with us in the classroom and we had a blast together as a family. Not right now because I don't know where to serve. Well, I have a solution for that. Next week, we have a a volunteer that we do, and we give you a backstage tour of the entire building and find a place on the wall where you can serve. And maybe that's in the tech booth, and we can train you and teach you uh, what to do. Maybe that's in the cafe, and we can teach you what to do there as well. Maybe God's calling you to be up here on stage with the band, or maybe he's calling you to be a Melchiah and work at the Dungate. But God is calling you to do something, and this is a great place to start. Now, I encourage you that if, if today is the day that you don't want to wait for a volunteer and you want to sign up today, then grab the seat, the, cart, the welcome card and the seat back in front of you and fill it out. And on your way out, just drop it off with, off with somebody and they will uh, get you connected. Well, I mentioned earlier that I had spent four years uh, working on different volunteer teams before I came on staff. What I didn't tell you is I hadn't served in any capacity for the previous 15 years. This is what I can tell you about my life before that time. I was a Christian, and I was here from the beginning when we opened. I was here, but I had no sense of community. I often felt lost and wondered why we couldn't connect but didn't stay in any kind of a life group. I complained about things that broke my heart but never looked in the mirror. I always said someday soon, but that lasted 15 years. I look back at how many people that I missed out on being able to help, but probably the biggest one was me. I missed out on the joy of serving others. I missed out on being part of a community. I missed out on God using me in ways that I never could have imagined. And I'll never let that happen again. What about you? Check out this video. We end tonight with the football play of the month. It was executed with amazing precision by the Eagles, the Olivet Eagles. Steve Hartman has the play and the post-game analysis on the road. Between classes, they schemed and conspired. For weeks, the football players here at Olivet Middle School in Olivet, Michigan, secretly planned their remarkable play. Did anybody go, this is a crazy idea? No, everyone was in on it. But like the coaches didn't know anything about it. So we were like going behind their back. I've just never heard of a team coming up with a plan to not score. It's just like to make someone's day, make someone's week, just make them happy. 
The play, which was two plays actually, happened at a home game earlier this month. The first part of their plan was to try to get as close to the goal line as possible without scoring, even if it meant taking a dive on the one yard line, which it did. The crowd was not happy. Quarterback Parker Smith. But us kids knew, hey, we got this. This is our time. This is Keith's time. Keith Orr is the little kid in the brown jacket. He's learning disabled, struggles with boundaries, but in the sweetest possible way. Because of his special nature, it's no surprise that Keith embraces his fellow football players. What is surprising is how they have embraced him. Hello. We thought it'd be cool to do something for him. Because we really wanted to prove that he was part of our team and he meant a lot to us. Nothing can really explain getting a touchdown when you've never had one before. Which brings us to part two of their play. If you didn't see Keith, it's because they were so protective of him. But he was in the middle of that rush. And when you crossed the goal line, what was that like? Awesome. <laughs> it was like, did he just score a touchdown? Get your what? camera out. I'm like, oh, I can't. Keith's parents, Carrie and Jim, almost missed the moment, but they got the significance. Somebody's always going to have his back from now until the day he graduates. She's right. When the football team decides you're cool, pretty much everyone follows suit. Today, Keith is a new kid, although by no means was he the only one who was profoundly changed. What was it like for you? It was like, like once I saw him going, I was smiling like about like here. Wide receiver Justice Miller. Like nothing could wipe that smile off my face. Why did it affect you so much? Because like he's never been like cool or popular and he went from being like pretty much a nobody to making everyone's day. Justice admits the play wasn't his idea. I would have not really thought about that. He says it never crossed his mind to give Keith any glory. Well, I, I kind of went from being somebody like mostly cared about myself and my friends to caring about everyone and trying to make everyone's day and everyone's life. Which may just make that touchdown the most successful football play of all time. Steve Hartman on the road in Olivet, Michigan. Justice said, I went from someone who mostly cared about myself and my friends to caring about everyone and making everyone's day and everyone's life. How about you? Are you ready to make a difference in the life of somebody else? Are you ready to be on a team, be a part of a life group, serve in your community, or serve here at the church? Today is that day that you make that decision to be a part of a community and grab a brick and let's get to work. I have one more ball. Who wants to be on a team? There you go. Let's pray. God, I just want to lift you up today and thank you for all that you've done in our lives and in this church. We recognize that any goodness that we've seen or experienced is just a blessing from you. Thank you for giving us the examples in Nehemiah and how to rebuild and lean into, your, into you in a time of crisis. Father, we ask that you break our hearts, what breaks yours, and give us the courage to walk through those doors when asked, to be on your team, making more and better followers of your son. Help us be a church that is known for its love for others, that walks in the footsteps of Jesus and not in the nobles. Help us remember the love and the sacrifice your son made for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.